Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 54 with Ann Trumbor, who is Senior Director for Wharton Online, uh, so fellow uh, higher ed tech person working in the online learning space. Uh, really appreciated uh, getting to hear uh, Ann's unique story to where she is today and all that that gave her. Uh, she's a kind of a properly geeky, nerdy uh, background, um, so really appreciated uh, connecting with Ann and uh, kind of her team just reaching out to be on the show, so kind of just good, uh, good kind of random connection there. Um, but a lot of cool stuff that we go into with uh, Anne's story and kind of her history working through uh, this uh, new age of uh, digital education um, that she's really been kind of at the uh, the ground level of. So um, really just kind of personally, professionally uh, interesting to me, and I know you'll uh, enjoy it as well. So appreciate you tuning in. And uh, without further ado, this is episode number 54 with Anne Trumple. You know, like looking through like your background and stuff and just, you know, you're doing kind of similar work to, um, you know, what I'm doing, just working kind of like in the online higher ed space and everything. Awesome. And, and I feel like, yeah, your your journey uh, there, I'm very intrigued to explore that and just kind of like, you know, explore sort of what's on your mind and what you're engaging with and stuff. So um yeah, it should be a really good conversation, but um, Fabulous. um, cool. Well, we can go ahead and jump in just so we kind of take advantage of the, the full time that we have together here. Um, if you uh-huh. just want to kick us off while, you know, just introducing yourself and kind of giving a brief, uh, you know, uh, introduction to your journey and how you got to be where you are today. And then we'll uh, dig in with a couple of pieces of that cliff notes. I, um, I can, yeah. I can do that and, and yeah. keep that, get, get to higher ed in about 90 seconds to two minutes. So yeah, if, yeah. if I just hit the decision point, so, and cool. you can edit it out. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, a, that's the other thing. If you need to like pause for a second to like, you know, cause yeah, sometimes I'm like, you know, stuttering or stammering cause I'm like getting too excited. Right. So I'm just like, all right, let me just pause. Cause that allow me to okay. like cut that part out. Um, so yeah, feel free to like, let me know if there's like, oh yeah, let me just, cause I'll, I'll clean it up anyway way just to make sure that okay. like, sounds pretty good but yeah awesome all right cool uh, so let me know when you're ready to roll cool um so yeah if you want to just kick us off and uh introduce yourself in your professional journey of how you got to be where you are today and then we'll uh kind of go from there awesome um so my name is ann trumbor i'm currently the senior director of wharton online wharton online uh produces Uh, short form asynchronous courses uh, in basic business topics. In the past four years, we've had over um, 220,000 certificates earned from our courses and people report that they've been using them to get ahead in their careers. So um, I'm not quite a a usual suspect to be working at a business school um, or even potentially to be working at online ed. Um, I, uh, studied a lot of postmodern theory in college, um, and tried to do some of it in French, but that was sort of failed. Um, I'm not (laughs) a terrible French speaker. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, while I was in college, I had to work during college. I went to an expensive school and I got a job writing for money for a newspaper, a local newspaper that was an arts and entertainment paper. And, um, and so when I graduated, um, I decided that I was going to try and make a living as a writer. And I moved to Los Angeles and had a couple of low rent jobs. And while I was um, doing that, I, I got a job as a, at a trailer company and began writing movie posters, trailers and TV spots. Hmm. And that actually built upon my postmodern theory background because postmodern theory is really difficult to read. And you have to be able to break it down into short 
summary pieces. Um, and advertising a movie is essentially the same thing, except without the big words, right? You take, <laughs> you take a two-hour media experience, and then you have to translate it into language. And sometimes, in the case of a movie poster, into just one sentence that's going to make people want to go see that movie. Right. Um, and I really enjoyed that, and that was great. Um, and uh, and then life intervened, and I had uh, a son, my son, and when he was a baby, the um, the deadlines for the entertainment business were were kind of difficult to keep up with, and I was in a writing group, and I got a, a call one day from from someone in my writing group and said, hey, down at Stanford, they're looking for folks who can teach writing um, over the summer. So I got the job in about two days over email. They were desperate. Hmm. Um, and uh, and it turned out that that job was uh, run under an office called the Education Program for Gifted Youth. And it was one run by a guy named Pat Supes, who was one of the first pioneers in online education. He was doing experiments in online ed in 1963. He wrote an article in Scientific American called The Uses of Computer in Education in 1966. And he was working on, uh, his group was working on the first web-based instruction program that was totally asynchronous that Stanford had ever done. And it was in grammar. Because of my postmodern theory, which involved linguistics, and also because of I had gone to Catholic school and had formally been taught grammar, plus I was a writing teacher um, and a professional writer, they said, great, can you run this grammar program? <laughs> so I'm, I thought this was a great experiment, right? How can we uh, use uh, the web, which was new, this is the early 2000s, right? It's 2003, 2004. Mm, How can we yeah. use the web to try and figure out how to do language instruction, right? It was a really neat puzzle. Um, and uh, so worked on that. And as we were working on it, um, technology began to evolve and broadband became available and people started having access to faster internet connection. And we were approached by a, um, a local company called Saba, which was trying to do uh, web conferencing, right? Synchronous, it, synchronous meetings. Mm -hmm. And we thought, well, 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 maybe we could try and do classes using this technology. So we tried to teach writing using that technology and we were reasonably successful. So we taught writing classes. And, um, and then uh, that group applied for a grant and said, you know, I think we could start an online high school. So this is all the mid 2000s. Um, we launched the online high school in 2008. Um, I, uh, my grammar program was used uh, in it. And then um, when we expanded beyond the pilot phase, um, they asked me to develop the curriculum, the English curriculum um, for the what we were calling the lower grades, so seven, eight, and nine. And uh, I did that and was teaching synchronously and then also watching uh, students use uh, the asynchronous grammar program as homework and, and looking at the interactions uh, with the technology and with the students when they met synchronously versus when they were using the computer asynchronously. And uh, then the world blew up in 2011 in terms of online, because about two streets down from where my office was on the Stanford campus in the computer science building, um, Andrew Ng and Daphne Kohler and uh, Sebastian Thrun um, offered some MOOCs. 
and these were their first MOOCs, uh-huh. and they exploded. And um, and you know, the committees were assembled, and <laughs> and the higher ed machine went into uh, orbit. So did the uh, so did the venture capital world, and um, a lot of details occurred. And by June, I was finishing up my class at uh, the online high school, and I turned in my resignation letter and showed up at Coursera the next day. Um, We had four partners at that time, and we only had um, six courses running. And over the next three, six weeks, actually, um, we went from 400,000 users to 2 million users. Um, And we went from four partners to 16, and then in the next three months to 32. And uh, and that really became the fodder for the rest of my uh, career. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, just being at those early stages of like what's kind of now just accepted as like pretty standard, like, you know, facilitating classes over, you know, video conferencing platforms and, um, yeah, just having the capacity to just like do education online at a sort of high quality level and everything. But um, so, yeah, I'm sure that's been quite the ride uh, being there kind of at the, those early stages and yeah, the kind of like existential crisis and higher ed that happened with MOOCs, but then like yes. continuing to kind of drive that forward where now it's sort of just like, yeah, again, it's not like these things have replaced higher ed. It's sort of just augmenting to do oftentimes the same great work that educators have done just digitally Um so I think that's what I've always appreciated is like, certainly it is driving like, yeah, we almost have to kind of like remix and kind of like rethink how we're doing it in the digital space. Cause it's obviously not going to be exactly the same, but right. you don't have to kind of rethink all the fundamentals necessarily in, in certain capacities. So, um, cause yeah, sometimes it's just a matter of like access for support services or just like, you know, tutoring or whatever, just like kind of replicating it in the, the digital space, but there are also some great new different tools that are coming out that can, um, you know, kind of drive innovation and kind of just like a different level of like, um, kind of academic engagement and education that's happening that you can do, you know, and like asynchronous stuff or, um, yeah, just like with videos and stuff. But, um, yeah, and that's great. Like, I guess, cause I, I guess also like to, you know, ask people who, even who aren't in higher ed, you know, it's a lot of people who are, you know, supporting students who, listen to the show and it sounds like from your college experience, at least one thing that came from it was that like, you know, sort of writing and um, all that has been like a through way, especially for, you know, some of those early pit stops in your career and everything. Um, so I'm not sure if some of that stuff is still resonating in, even in like the work that you're doing now in terms of just like how you communicate with people and convey ideas and like those sort of things or like anything else, like mentors or anything I get, you know, like in terms of like, what do you feel like your college experience gave you that kind of still resonates? Oh my gosh, so much. It's crazy because I had a very traditional seminar based discussion, like crazy liberal arts experience. I I have a degree in something called semiotics, which is now a discredited discipline. Um, (laughs) I basically, you know, read, um, a lot of theory in other languages um, and then tried to do things like analyze um, Hitchcock movies or the cover of ACDC's Back in Black album as a cultural artifact. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was totally impractical. Um, it was, and I don't like the word rigor because I think it gets misused, but I will say it was intellectually rigorous in that this was hard. Um, it was also very new 
And so there was a sense of risk and kind of danger about it. Um, I will say that uh, one of the reasons that I majored in it and was allowed to take these risks is that, um, you know, I went to a school that didn't have grades. Um, you could take courses pass fail. And even when you took a course for a grade, it was A, B, C or no credit. So if you failed, it disappeared from your transcript, hmm. which, you know, certainly got you in trouble with your parents. Right. If it was like, wait, we paid for four courses and you passed two. But so, you know, there was definitely there were short term consequences, but there was no value in playing it safe in that kind of environment, right? Because you had access to all these great classes. And if you failed one, it wasn't going to follow you for the rest of your life and it, and influence what kind of job you would get or, you know, your ability to go on to graduate school. So, um, so that was that, I think that environment allowed me to always feel comfortable in environments where I was trying something new particularly in the higher end space, right? So I've always worked at kind of early stage experiments. Um, and while I recognize the risks and I recognize other people's concerns about the risks, um, I'm comfortable with that level of risk. And I think that's just because I was, I was uh, adjusted to it and exposed to it at an early age and didn't experience any you know, ill effects. Cause I'm not a, I'm not a thrill junkie. You know, I don't jump out of airplanes or anything personally, but um, I like that excitement. Another part was the writing for sure. Um, I think, it, you know, a course is, and I'll always speak to faculty about this, you know, a, a course is, um, you know, a rhetorical piece, right? How are you, you know, when you think about writing, I mean, whether you're writing a short story or writing an argument or making a movie, you're trying to communicate to someone who is not there across from you, right? So you have to create something to produce a response in someone else without you being there to shepherd it along. Um, and that's true of an asynchronous online course. Um, it's also to some extent true a little bit of teaching in a large lecture hall, um, there's a uh, uh, Sanjay Sharma at, Sharma at MIT has a fantastic line. She says it's all distance learning after the third row, uh, uh -huh. <laughs> which I think you know is very true. And so if you're if you're a faculty member and you're used to crafting your lectures to be to reach the person in the very top row so that they can get the material and pass the exam, you're already teaching online. You have the building blocks. Right. right. Um, if anything, what online does, and you alluded to this in your comments, is that these new tools and technologies give us the ability to make explicit which is what has always been implicit in the classroom. And it's allowing us to kind of identify and unpack what not just teaching is, but also what learning is, because we don't know very much about how people learn. Um, and now we have the ability to begin to find out. And technology serves at this point mostly as a data gathering mechanism um, so that we can analyze that later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, just that like kind of life lesson of like being comfortable with ambiguity, you know, like the kind of intellectual or structural ambiguity of like starting new things and like, you know, being innovative and all that, just like that, that, you know, you were in an environment that helped nurture that, um, and then, yeah, just like, yeah, yeah just communication skills. Cause it's like, I mean, we're all communicating with each other all the time. Like you said, of just like, you know, uh, that idea of conveying an idea and not being there to actively, uh, you know, facilitate that all the time. But like, 
you know, again, thankfully just being able to like have tools to like, you know, do virtual office hours, you know, doing like live sessions or something. It's like, you know, you could at least, uh, hopefully have students who feel comfortable being like, Hey, this is what I thought about that. You know, you're like having like an active discussion about it, but still obviously would hope to, you know, everybody's getting the same idea, you know, with this course that you've built, uh, that they're going through at their own pace. But, um, so I guess, you know, yeah, you've had this kind of unique journey towards here, but you know, everything's kind of built upon itself and you're utilizing, you know, all the experiences and things that you've learned, uh, up until this point to now work in, you know, online higher education, uh, space. So, what are the things I guess now that you're like, you're really enjoying that, you know, um, again, this is still a space where there's maybe still some, like, you know, we're laying the ground out as we lay, you know, go forth and everything. Like there's still things that we're figuring out and learning and improving and, um, those sort of things. So, um, you know, I, I feel like you've kind of alluded to it a little bit in, in terms of like, this has been kind of a lot of what you've done before is built toward this to be like, this is like a really good space for you to kind of thrive in, but you know, what, what are those pieces that you enjoy most about your current work right now? Maybe if it is like particularly at UPenn or Wharton or just like in the online space or the people you work with, anything that comes to mind? Sure. So um, top, top of the funnel for, for me is, um, you know, the, the early adopters of MOOCs and the early folks in the MOOC space. I mean, we have a, a, a bond among us. <laughs> we uh -huh. see each other at conferences and things. And, um, and that was really a gift. Right. Um, it's a, you know, it was definitely that summer it was a trial um, by fire. Um, you know, there was no I and this was my first of course, there was my first startup, like my first real startup. Mm -hmm. And we had not we had no stealth mode. Um, you know, we we were operating and Tom Friedman was writing about us in The New York Times and, you know, provosts from very high value brands were coming to us and they were wanting to engage, but also very panicked. And so, and, and we had, I mean, there were 20 people on staff and that included the engineers, you uh -huh. know, I mean, it was, it was insane. And the, the public scrutiny was crazy. Um, and so that experience was really special and has kept unfolding in terms of the relationships among the folks who were there initially. I think that that anyone who survived uh, through that and is still in higher ed is the kind of, you know, innovator is such an overused word, but definitely folks who, you know, like experimentation, you know, appreciate and, uh, you know, have benefited from the current educational structure, but also understand that the current educational structure needs to change. Uh -huh. And, um and are happy to work in a kind of, it's, this is going to sound weird, but almost a loving way um, to affect that change, right? We're not standing outside the gates, you know, with pitchforks and, you know, burning sticks, <laughs> calling for the demise of the college institution, um, but more working within and, and getting folks comfortable with technological change and reaching new students and reaching existing students in new ways and understanding that the world um, is changing, that what we've invented in terms of technology is going to change our future and that the de education delivery has to change as well. Um, and that's exciting to me. It's extremely daunting because I, as I, especially with our business courses and doing a lot of research with our learners, um, 
there are a number of policy issues that come up, not just not just higher ed policy, but governmental policy around workforce development, around student aid funding, around accreditation. Um, and I'm really interested in these larger questions. And um, and so, you know, this work that I'm doing now has definitely given me um, some insight into what those questions are. And, you know, we continue through our learners to generate these vast reams of data um, about how they're using our courses. And so we're actively engaged in research. So I would say the three things I, I come away with um, are the relationships with the early adopters. So now this is this community of um, higher ed change folks, for lack of a, a better term. Um, the ability to, to do research on real data that, that is going to help us discover new things about teaching, about learning, um, and about how uh, we can apply what we learn to work and the nature of work itself. And then these sort of larger questions um, that I think are going to affect how uh, we live and learn in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah, it's because uh, I think I've you know only been in this space for a couple of years, and like it's certainly opened my eyes to just like the higher ed landscape and how things are changing on like a broader level, and um, yeah, just like the the need to just broaden access in terms of just like you know the physical space of you know people just not having access to the high quality education, but being able to uh, do that digitally, and you know we need more people to be able to kind of build those, those skills and have the credentials to you know get the jobs that we need and stuff, and then you know, with that being like kind of a slog and hard work and everything, it's great that you have a community of people who are supportive, who, you know, have been through it with you and everything. Um, Cause certainly, yeah, I mean, just having people to like bounce ideas off of, or even just kind of like commiserate with where it's like, Oh my gosh, like this is so hard. We're trying to figure this thing out. Or, you know, dealing yeah. With, like, different policies <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Cause yeah, it's like still in those things in higher ed. Like I think I, I've recognized that as well, where it's like, you know, oftentimes in a lot of aspects of, of, modern life, like technology is moving faster than the laws and everything, you know, like you have stuff like yes. ride sharing and like Ubers and Lyft and people are kind of catching up because like, hey, these have been around for a while, but they're like, well, you can like do it, but like, you know, you have to do it this way or something, but it's like, we've already been using it for a really long time. And now you're just, you know, just now being like, oh, we're going to kind of slap some different things down. But right. yeah, ho hopefully, yeah, it's the idea that we can adapt, uh, you know, adapt to these tools that are, that are helping people to, um you know, especially with education, like, you know, get their life and their career to a place where, you know, people can have gainful employment and good lives and contribute to uh, society and those things. Because I think, yeah, it's, it's also the idea where it's just like different modality for the same program. Like some people are, it's going to be really mm -hmm. valuable for them to be on campus and in person and uh, those sort of things. But, you know, just also having the option to get, you know, the same degree, just in a different uh, method. Um, well, Absolutely. And I, yeah, and I guess like, um, you know, shifting gears a little bit on the, you know, the geeky side of this, because it sounds like, you yeah. know, you've, you've had a past with like, because it sounds, I was going to say with the, your uh, degree, like it sounded like to me, like it just sounded so like unabashedly like geeky and nerdy where it's just like you're yeah. examining these cultural artifacts and just taking these yeah. things like so seriously, which like I do all, you know, like I'm like, oh, the allegories of these like, you know, superhero characters, like you know, they're like mythical, you know, whatever, like archetypes or something. But um, so like that's what like struck me from it. But 
So I'm guessing, you know, like just if that's like part of your personality, you know, or just in terms of like how you view the world and kind of engage with things like, like, what are you geeking out about currently? If it's stuff that's related to your job or just kind of personally, like the hobbies that you're into, like, um, yeah, I guess just explore that a little bit of like these things sure. that are kind of engaging you. Yeah. So one thing that I, that I love to say, cause, cause, um, uh, I, one of the, one of the courses, so I also took a lot of, you know, comp lit and, um, and I read a lot and I, I'm actually a terrible student. I just really love to read. So, um, so I just have always read a lot and, um, and I like to read fiction more than nonfiction. Um, and when, when I was, uh, you know, one of the courses that I was, that was teaching, uh, at the Stanford online high school was the sort of survey year long survey, of the ancient literature. And um, and that was when I really started to appreciate um, some of the Greek and Roman myths. And I will say that I use those more frequently than not um, with faculty members when they have resistance or when I'm trying to negotiate the politics in higher ed. And I'll even say, like, let us at this point pause and turn to the literature. And by literature, I mean the Odyssey, because what you're doing right now is <laughs> like this situation is like, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going back to the classics, yeah. Uh, yeah, Odysseus and Circe's, right? And so, um, and and I'll say, or I know what you want to do. You want to come back and kill all of Penelope's suitors right now. That's how you want to run this meeting. And um, and so and so that's really fun. Um, and so I feel like I'm injecting a little bit of, you know, the humanities into some mm -hmm. of, um, you know, a lot of my, uh, meetings with, with faculty and administrators. Uh, that's one thing I geek out about. But, um, another thing is, is that I've just always been fascinated by, uh, how language is a technology and how, uh, technology just is so imperfect, um, and so, you know, I, I guess I'll share this publicly. I mean, folks around me know it. So I, I when I was little, I couldn't learn to read. Um, and I was in the dumb class and, um, and I had to like eventually sort of teach myself to read, but, mm. um, and, and so my experience of school was always like, what is happening? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm like, I want to be here, but I really don't know what's going on. So it was a little bit of an outsider's perspective, um, and uh, and so I love I guess I can identify really identify with the access part. Um, and I don't I don't think that school is the way that we've imagined school, which came out of, you know, a very industrial complex mindset. Right. So it was the Industrial Revolution that really help shape what we think of as school, it wasn't driven by pedagogy, it was driven by industry. Um, and the whole th apple cart is changing, right? It's not an industrial revolution. It drives me nuts when people talk about, oh, we're in the fourth industrial revolution, because mm. it's not. <laughs> it's nothing to do with industry. It has to do more with imagination. I know this is going to sound like I'm one of these, you know, entrepreneur, innovator, uh, sort of geeks. But, you know, one thing that I've seen in my limited view of startups and Silicon Valley and technology is that we can't build what we can't imagine. Right. So we have and this goes right back to semiotics. Right. Like what is the cultural unconscious that we all share? What are our common touchstones? You know, 
500 years ago in Western civilization, it was the Bible. That was the common -er text. You know, what is it today? What is it among developers in Silicon Valley? The people are actually building something. When you're building something, you have a vision in your head, right? When you're even when you're right, when you're creating anything, you're trying to figure out, you're trying to map it to this thing you have in your head. And at least if you're me, it almost always fails and it's deeply frustrating. But still, where does that picture in your head come from? And um, and, you know, I, a lot of what Isaac Asimov, you know, like turning to literature again, right? Like, look at Isaac Asimov. You know, look at William Gibson. I mean, basically, much of what we're doing right now in higher ed is straight out of necromancy. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it's not, it's, I, sometimes I get frustrated because I'm like, guys, this is not new. Like, you read this when you were 17, or you should have. Um, <laughs> and so I wish that, um, so I geek out about that. And and if I had, you didn't ask me this, but like, if I had my wish, I would have those who are being affected by the change and those who are creating the change have a book club. <laughs> and, you know, read some of the same science fiction and or like I would put them in a writing, if I, you're really fantasy, I would have a writing class and I would say, okay, we are going to write a science fiction fantasy about the year, you know, your, your main character is a high school student, 17 years old, living in a rural, rural area in the Midwest in 2040, you have 15 minutes, go. And just see what people come up with. I feel like that's what we're missing, you know, is that sharing of ideas in that playful space, kind of like what I described from undergrad, you know, where you can say stuff and you won't be judged on it necessarily, at least not negatively. Like people can say it's a crappy idea, but it's not like that, that then is going to follow you for the rest of your life. You're going to be known as the person who had a lousy idea with uh-huh. it, right? Um which, by the way, is what my also my time in the entertainment business taught me, too. It's the quantity of ideas, not the quality of one idea that wins out. So um, so that's that's what I geek out about. And that's kind of my geeky wish for the future is that, you know, I would have a big cr- a book club with a creative writing exercise attached. <laughs> well, uh, that sounds like a good like, you know, because like, you know, they have these like extended like, you know, like pre-conference things at different like right. conferences. It's like, that sounds like a great idea for somebody to like, it's like, you know, do with it as you will, I guess. Because, yeah, I mean, it's just like that thoughtful like, you know, discourse and collaboration and, yeah, just imagination and um, those sort of things. Yeah, it's like, yeah, the unknown, unknown, and, like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, yeah, people coming at just, like, sort of, like, yeah, like a shared sort of prompt like that and seeing how, you know, people will think through it. Because, yeah, I mean, I think, and I appreciate you sharing, you know, the part of your story there of, like, your struggles of, you know, with education, just, like, because I think there's great capacity now in terms of like, you know, accessibility just literally because, again, yeah, it's like, you know, if I want to get a, a degree from a particular university, it's like, you know, if it's in the physical space, I'm only limited to the places I can commute to. And even then, that's just time wasted, you know, going back and mm-hmm. forth and stuff and kind of the opportunity cost. But, you know, if you can get, you know, a great education from a great university online, wherever you are, like, that's like one great point of access, but also with accessibility of like, you know, whatever sort of accommodations you need is like, those can just be like baked in and built in just like, okay, there's closed captioning, you know, there's like, uh, 
you know, any of those kind of things can easily be, be built in, like, you know, in an LMS or something like that. Like, like I've seen and understood that there's a lot, you know, a lot that we can do with these platforms and stuff. So I think there's a lot of value there with people who might have certain struggles, you know, they can be supported. And it's also not like, yeah, you have to be like kind of singled out or something, you know, like, oh, well, you're the one student in the class clearly who like needs to leave to take this test or something, you know, like there's like right. certain you know, like things where it's just like, no, everybody's kind of like, you know, getting to the point to get the level of support they need to be on an equal level with everybody else and stuff. And, you know, I'm sure part of that's kind of aspirational. I think we, you know, haven't maybe figured out everything to be like so perfectly fluid and just like, you know, integrated, but I feel like we're seeing uh, good progress there. And that would certainly be something that, you know, uh, I think we could continue on and would be maybe part of something that people would imagine in terms of like, Oh yeah. I mean, in like 20 years, you know, I'm I'm sure we're going to have just like seamless kind of, integration of those sort of things and um yeah i mean just things like you know online high schools and stuff like that like becoming perhaps just far more commonplace and perhaps those being um you know integrated or something like that but yeah i mean that's like a great prompt and i think it's just like which i i appreciate it's just like the the uh, serendipity of you coming onto the show and perhaps that's like just part of what drove you to it is just like I, I appreciate this that like that geeky lens and kind of personality that you come to this all with and just you know name dropping all these authors and stuff you know it's just like <laughs> like one right after the other and i'm like this is great you know just like you know it's a little bit out of my wheelhouse like i don't you know uh you know, I, I came up kind of differently, like you know, with history as sort of my backing and always wanting yeah. kind of like, you know, the context for things like nothing just happens. There's always some kind of path yeah. that leads up to it. So it's like, you know, yeah, even just you, it's like, yeah, I've got like this library of like literary knowledge and just like, you know, th- that's where you're coming to things with to sort of inform even like with some levity, you know, at times. But uh, yeah, that idea of like this shared uh kind of language and understanding and ideas of, you know, how we see the world um, as a society. Certainly it's like, you know, that is a truth, whether we are aware of it or not. Um, right. But uh, well, I guess on that point, um, I don't know if there's anything maybe that you've like revisited lately that's kind of on your mind or just like new stuff that you're consuming lately uh, that you're like reading, watching, listening to, you know, like podcasts, movies, uh, television, show, you know, like anything, I guess that's capturing your attention that we could maybe uh, include in the show notes. Sure. So um, I just finished an awesome, awesome book um, called House of Broken Angels. Um, and I can never pronounce the um, author's name. His last name, I think, is Urea is how you say it. Um, and it's just about this chaotic um, family. Like there's a funeral one day and then a birthday party the next day. But the host of the birthday party is is uh, is his death is imminent. And it's, you know, a family of, uh, of not even some first generation, but mostly immigrant Mexicans. And then some are legal, some are dreamers, some are not. But it's just this crazy riotous, like all this stuff is going on and it's all mixed together. People are having, uh, you know, uh, flirting and having romance and dying and there's you know confront deadly confrontations and all of this is happening within the space of a one day you know a very serious funeral and the next day what's supposed to be a very serious goodbye birthday party and and to me I just saw the metaphor it's like we don't look at 
you know, I mean, ed tech and education is a small part of it, but generally life that way, and you just alluded to it, like it's all mixed in together and we're so, you know, intent upon being siloed. And I think that's the big danger for me of technology is that in order to make the computer work, you have to break things down into black and white and tiny micro boxes. Um, and then the tendency is to then take that box thinking outside and really what, you know, good software development, good technology development is how do you combine those boxes, right? It's not about breaking everything down. It's about bringing anything together. So that's uh, one reason why um, I really like that book. The other one that I'm reading, which is a nonfiction book, uh, is called um, AI Superpowers, which you've probably heard um, about. um, And actually my dean, uh, Dean Garrett, um, told me in our last meeting to read it. Um, but uh, it's written by um, Kai-Fu Lee. Um, he's one of the, it says, one of the world's most respected experts on AI in China. Um, and he's really talking about how, um, you know, AI, China's investment in AI is uh, outpacing the U.S. and how that um, is, you uh, how, how that's going to change not only the world order, but also, um, I mean, of course, I'm looking at it through an education lens, right? But, I mean, China has a much more pressing problem than we do because they've got a lot more people they need to educate for a lot less money. And they don't, they aren't wedded to, um, you know, a, an industrial standard to the in the same way that we are. Um, and so I'm very curious to uh, finish that book and try and figure out how we're going to weave in AI um, in a way that's sensible. Um, I agree with you in terms of like, what we were saying earlier and another pop culture reference, right? I think think technology makes us bionic, right? I don't think we get replaced by robots. I think we become the $6 million man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and when I've given, like back in the day, when I would give you know, teacher training, you know, at conferences and give like teacher training lectures on how to work with, uh, you know, online courses. I'd say, I'm not here to replace you. I'm here to, you know, repair you. And then I would sing from the, you know, $6 million man theme. And they were mostly old enough that they knew what I was talking about. But, um, but I think that idea of, of being bionic, which I'm, I'm fascinated, like we, I think our new bionic man are the Marvel superheroes, you know, so like mortals with powers. Um, and I think that's how, if we can think about AI and technology using that, you know, almost comic book sensibility of how does this make me a superhero? How does it make my kid a superhero, right? How can we make society better? And, you know, I know I said, believe me, I can be, super cynical and clear-eyed and skeptical, but for God's sake, can we please start imagining a better future, you know, and Mm -hmm. one in which it's not going to be rampaging robots, you know, who are trying to kill us? Um, Again, that's what we've written. Like, and I love me a good robo-apocalyptic tale, you know? I love reading about, oh, and the trucks are all gonna, you know, talk to each other and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, take over the freeways and right. destroy our buildings. I'm like, I work for the the school of engineering here with their online degree, and their dean actually does the robot swarm, right? It's the it's the drone swarm. They call it the swarm, right? The drones mm. that talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I love that stuff. That's awesome. Um, how can we use it to make to alleviate 
um, poverty and the lack of education and um, all of the and climate change. And, you know, can we can we please focus on that alongside the skepticism, which is necessary? We can't let it go unfettered. But, you know, let's let's think about what can happen and and, and be excited instead of thinking about what can, what can happen and like, you know, crying into our beer, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, that, and I appreciate that sentiment because, yeah, I'm like the I'm the optimist, uh, you know, the eternal optimist and like so much potential. Yeah. Of, like, you know, yeah, like drones, people are like, oh, you know, these things or whatever, you know, yeah, just kind of cynical or skeptical, which, yeah, it's like a fair dose of skepticism is good. But like, yeah, don't let it rule your life when you're just like questioning everything and everybody, you know, there's some sort of conspiracy or something, but it's like, right. Yeah, like, you know, drones can help like put out fires with people having to risk their lives. They can get supplies into like, you know, remote areas that are hard to get to otherwise. And like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of good things with those and, you know, just making those as effective as possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I use that metaphor often that I think like, you know, a lot of people say like technology is the best when it gets out of your way and like, you know, being, augmented with it yeah it's like you know in the geeky classifications it's like you know you have your robots that are clearly like artificial beings and then like androids which are like the terminator where it's like oh it's like a robot that looks like a human but it's all robot but it's like but then it's like you have a cyborg who is like a human augmented with technology so it's like yeah they're not being replaced they're just being like augmented and then like also with like automation and like different you know kind of uh use cases for technology it's like it's going to get to a place where it's like yeah it's like helping us to do things better and also like getting out of our way where it's not so like kind of intrusive or you know those sort of things and again it's like yeah there's like the human potential to solve the problems that we create too if it's like oh well then there's like privacy issues or these sort of things or surveillance or something it's like well like we made it then we need to make it in a way that's more conducive to the way that we want it to operate and all that so it's like yeah any any skepticism that is like fair and important and necessary it's like yeah let's channel that energy in the right way to articulating structures to be the way that we want them to be you know and like put laws in place or policies and stuff and again back to that other point of like things you know far behind pace of where they should be it's like that's the way to do it it's like okay well you can't do this and you have to do it this way if you are going to do it or whatever um so yeah definitely Appreciate the optimism, and that segues perfectly to our optimistic end note that we always do for every episode here. So, what, uh, yeah, we'll end with anything or things that you are looking forward to in your job, life, and or the world. So, it can be any of those things, all of those things. Um, yeah, anything that comes to mind that you are looking forward to. All right. Well, um, let's see. I'm, uh, I am looking forward to someone making the Jetsons for a future today right (laughs) so when is someone going hello my old peeps in hollywood will someone make the jetsons you know for 2050 because also like if they did it they'd probably make it into this like like, gritty reboot or something which is like no like literally just make it like it was now like yes like where is the happy vision of the future and plea and also and i know this is on bumper stickers everywhere but where is my flying car right, right. <laughs> i was i was promised flying cars as a child in this in the 60s and 70s where's my flying car um and i also would welcome my robot overlord um because people can be confusing <laughs> Yeah, just like a little buddy, you know, like somebody helping you out with stuff. 
but like he'll tell me what needs to happen each week and then I get a lot of latitude and autonomy on as to how I get it done because he's he or she the or it wow we'll have to have a new pronoun for a robot won't we um you know it's is is just going to you know that all the creativity and imagination part will be left up to you know me the human and that to me sounds awesome yeah it's like something that gets out of your way helps you to do what you need to and you know uh keeps you on track with stuff so it's like you can see a lot of those things like starting to happen now but then if it's like just an even smarter hub of uh just helping us all to, to live our lives in the way that we want to and all that. Uh, certainly something to look forward to. And um, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you sharing all that you did and uh, you making some time here for the podcast. It was great uh, talking with you. And uh, yeah, we'll have, um, you know, the stuff that we mentioned in the show notes as usual and um, ways to connect with Anne. But um, yeah, just thank you again so much. And uh, yeah, maybe if I'm up in Philadelphia sometime soon here, uh, I'm down in Baltimore, down the road, hopefully we can maybe... Uh, cross paths here but uh, oh absolutely yeah. yes um, please come up and if i'm uh if i'm in dc i'll, I'll hop off the train and we can have lunch or something yeah there you go um awesome well uh, again yeah thanks again for your time and have a uh, good rest of your day thank you dustin it was such a treat i really appreciate your time and for reaching out to me yeah, i had a great i had a blast this podcast is part of the connect edu podcast network bringing together diverse voices in the higher ed community Check us out on Twitter at ConnectEDUPod or at ConnectEDU.network. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.